0: Together. This this is our origin story. Story. My Talk 1071 is KTMY FM HD1. Coon Rapids St. Paul Minneapolis. Hey, you wanna hear something awesome? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. News time.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome back to the adventures of Bradley and Dawn on My Talk 1071. People have been sharing their thoughts and feelings and memories of actor Matthew Perry, who passed away over the weekend. We have been talking about not only his passing, but his life, his career all day on the station and will continue throughout the rest of today. And I'm sure into the week as well. Joining me today as we remember Matthew Perry, but also uh, the other top stories of the day is our good friend Paul McGuire Grimes from Paul's trip to movies dot com. Please check out his website. Hey, Paul. Hey, Bradley. Thanks for filling hey, in today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, one of the things that I love and adore about you is your obsession with TV and movies. Because unlike my obsession, which is scatterbrained and all over the place, you are very thoughtful about like where different films and TV shows sit in sort of the overall pantheon of uh film and tv this time of year everybody's thinking about scary films and we just talked about one in the that's been very successful in five the nights at freddys yeah have you seen that one yet? Uh, yes
0: we watched it last night on peacock so we didn't go oh. to the theater oh. so we so you were
1: one of the people we were who just streamed it instead of going to
0: the theater yes i mean so, you know we have a we have a kiddo so it's just I easier totally for us to understand. stay home and watch that one and it's frankly been easier to do that if movies are streaming or i'll or just try to watch something at home. But it was it was a fun movie, not, like, great. It Maybe it wasn't up my alley totally. Like, I I had no context to the video game that it is based on, so I kind of went into the story blindly. But there certainly was this nostalgic trip for me, because it, I don't know how much you know about it. but I don't know it anything it. takes place about it in this I... closed kids' pizzeria, much like a Chuck E. Cheese with the, like, animatronic band.
1: Oh, that's right. It, this is the one that had that sort of, yeah. Yes. I, so, I remember like, that. it brought me
0: back to that era of, like, being a kid and, like, poking behind the curtain and then the, the band animals are just there frozen. So that's the setting for this movie.
1: Okay. So one of the things that scary movies, and this is one of the things that drives me away from scary movies, but (laughs) definitely made me run towards them as a kid. For some reason, I loved them as a kid, hate them as an adult, um, is like just scaring people, you know, jump scares, like out of nowhere. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to talk about the decline. Apparently, there's a decline in jump scares. In yeah, movies. I, so
0: I love scary movies. I love horror as a genre. In any decade of um, horror movies, we could talk about. I love the the 70s era is actually my favorite. I was going to say what's your favorite. Seven, my decade. favorite scary movie is Halloween from 1978, John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis. But that genre that timeline of how horror was made in the 70s is my favorite. But I ran across an article on the Washington Post and someone did their due diligence of like getting the facts about jump scares in the horror genre. And there's this decline right now in the number of jump scares in scary movies. So. There is a whole chart that they graphed out. I love a good chart. And yeah, graph. we just love a good chart. Especially about jump scares. So in, in the 70s, we had movies like Carrie and The Omen that were far more character-driven, psychological-driven. They had one jump scare each in the entire movie. And those are some darn scary movies. One jump scare. And then in 1981, going ahead of it... There were four movies that had over 20, one of them being Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. Now, as we track horror movies and the timeline of their popularity, they really started to and then in the like 70s, 80s, we had slasher flicks. Halloween gave birth to A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a little before Halloween, but again, a whole franchise there. The horror genre really started to die, die down until we got to Scream in 96, which then reinvigorated the horror genre. We jump ahead into the 2000s, where you will then have remake after remake of remake. And then in 20, 2003's Freddy versus Jason, that had 24 jump scares in it. So this article really talks about if something is a major jump scare, a minor jump scare, and why that is happening. And the number one movie with jump scares, according to this is a movie you probably have never heard of called The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia.
1: I have no idea. what Mike, have you ever seen it? No, no.
0: It's from 2013. It has 32 jump scares, um, and it's 0.32 jump scares per minute. And I will say that, like, so you remember thinking, well, why is that? Well, this kind of remake culture, I think, led to lazy filmmaking. So audiences, you know... They mm-hmm. love to get scared. So what's one way to do that? Throw a cat in a window or jump out in front of someone. Have yeah. this ghost pop up and the Have some mirror.
1: ominous music. Nothing's happening. And then something Boom. totally. un.
0: Yeah. Right. So then it becomes it's it's easy. Like it's it's an easy effect. And then you're like just waiting for it. And that that becomes the measure of jump scare. So then once something becomes a measure you're waiting for, it, then it's no longer scary. Filmmakers then have to get around that. So now we're living in this age of the horror genre called elevated horror.
1: An and elevated he, horror means you have like to be movies, more thoughtful yes, about how movies scary that you are. have
0: like an elevated more thoughtful more philosophical approach to them we're thinking the work of Jordan Peele like Get say, Out yeah. Us Nope uh The Witch Midsummer, Hereditary A Quiet Where you Place you kind
1: of it's like the the pot is slowly boiling like, like you're the frog in the pot and all of a sudden, you're like into the movie, and you're like, oh my God, I'm surrounded by terrifying things. Right. Yeah. And
0: now we're just in the thick of it because yeah. there's no coming back from Tony Collette absolutely losing her mind. Have you seen Hereditary? No. Mike? No, I've not. Okay, I'm leaving. I'm I not a horror movie. <laughs> you can't leave. <laughs> Tony Collette. I love Should have had an Oscar nomination for Hereditary. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. Without giving Ari away Aster. any
1: spoilers, can you just like, what's the.
0: OK, so she um it, the, the movie opens with her losing the death of her mom, it, like losing her mom. So th- it starts off in this head place of trauma over death. And then there's a f- big thing that happens where her daughter dies. And from there, it's like this mother played by Tony Collette, who not only has to bury her mom, but also her daughter. And it just descends into madness after in in like the psychological Headspace of trauma, and I'm really trying to be vague here about what transpires in this movie, but there's some just brutal images, shockiness, and then the ending is just, like, shocking. Like, there's a twist that you find out kind of what, why this is happening. Yeah. It's fantastic. So Ari Aster was the writer-director of that. He did Midsommar after that with Florence Pugh, and then earlier this year had a movie called Bo is Afraid, so it's that kind of thing where you... It's more psychological. It's, yeah, It's we're, more thoughtful. We're going back in a way to like how 70s horror was made. And then when you think about good jump scares, like love... Like The Shining, for... Yeah. for example. Great. It's
1: so... I mean, there are jump scares, I'm sure, and it's sort of traditional horror, but at the same time, it's just a huge psychological... Even The uh, Exorcist.
0: Oh, 100%. Shining is 1980. Exorcist is 73. I love The Shining. In a very different relationship that I have with the book. But, ooh, what Stanley Kubrick did, one of the best jump scares recently, and I think because they are a little bit less frequently now, if they're done well, they land. Did either of you see The Haunting of Hill House from Mike Flanagan? No.
1: No. What am I doing? I know. You know, <laughs> you Dawn is the one that you want to talk to because right now. she loves horror movies. She's six don't... five one, six yeah.
0: four, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so in one of the episodes, one of the big reveals in this show, I'm not going to get into it with people that haven't seen it, but one of the big, there's a big twist, a big reveal. And then one of the best jump scares that I've seen in the last decade came from that. And a... Uh, 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 It's a driving scene where the characters are driving in a car and all of a sudden a ghost pops up like in the front seat, back seat in the car. And it took you took you by surprise. And it was like the best way a jump scare can be used because you are not expecting it all in that moment. And it happens and you are on the couch. Well, One of the
1: scariest things in the movie Firewalk with me. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, then it's not a spoiler, but like. When um, Bob, the evil character, Bob is just like behind a piece of furniture, like when somebody's walking in a room, you know, that's just like it's that thing that you're not expecting. That is there's nothing particularly scary about it. It's just that you're so not expecting it Mm -hmm. that when it happens, you're, you know,
0: like a cat. You need a good filmmaker that knows how to direct and choreograph suspense, but not one that's just looking for cheap scares. And I think some
1: David Lynch's.
0: Oh, he's a amazing genius. at that. Yeah,
1: Paul. I hate to cut the conversation short, but we do have to run. If you were going <laughs> to tell people to watch one film this Halloween, what would it be? One scary film.
0: Uh, Halloween. Yeah, that's Why my not? answer. Classic. Yeah. All right. Hey,
1: when we come back, all day we've been remembering Matthew Perry. If you've got thoughts, uh, dear audience, feel free to send us an email, drop us tweets. We're gonna. Uh, Check in on more of the coverage of Matthew Perry's passing over the weekend. Paul is here, so we're going to talk about.
0: At Paul's Movie Trip, if you want to send me a message. At
1: Paul's Movie Trip. On all social media and more when we come back right here on My Talk 107.
0: On the My Talk website or app.
1: Hey, My Talkers, it's Bradley for my good friends at Little Blind Spot and Hunter Douglas. Now through December 5th, buy more and save more with huge rebates on Hunter Douglas Silhouette and Pirouette and PowerView Automation. Purchase one to five silhouette or pirouette with PowerView Automation, get a $50 per unit rebate. Purchase six to 10, get a $75 per unit rebate. And if you purchase 11 or more, get a $100 per unit rebate. Rebates can include a mix of silhouette and pirouette with PowerView automation. Limitations and restrictions apply. Ask for details. And don't forget that select Hunter Douglas Duet honeycomb shades still qualify for a US federal tax credit of up to $1,200 through the end of the year. Exclusions and restrictions apply here too visit littleblindspotmn.com today for more information and to schedule your free in-home consultation. Don't forget to tell them Bradley sent you. Sing it with me. The little Blind Spot, we're big on Welcome back to the Adventure Show, Bradley and Dawn here on My Talk 1071. i I'm Bradley Trainer. To infer Dawn today is Paul McGuire Grimes. And Mike's here, of course. Paul, thanks for being with thanks us for today. Me. Always a pleasure. You know, it is a somber day as we reflect on the life and the passing of actor Matthew Perry. I did want to just read a brief statement from uh, that came out from his family. Um, but I also wanted to reflect on, because we have you here, just the nature of Friends as a TV show and its impact on the world, and I think more importantly, For you specifically, Paul, because you are such a lover of TV and movies. Um, But before we get to that, I just wanted to read you the statement from his family. And they said, quote, we are heartbroken by the tragic loss of our beloved son and brother. Matthew brought so much joy to the world, both as an actor and a friend. You all meant so much to him, meant so much to him. And we appreciate the tremendous outpouring of love. We're going to continue to share uh, our thoughts and the story as it develops here on my talk all day and surely throughout the week. But now, Paul, because and for those of you who don't know my talkers, you do know Paul, of course, from Paul's trip to the dot com. He's reviewing TV and movies constantly, but you're also just a lover. Yeah. of, And I should say that it comes from the love you have for TV and movies as pertains to friends, mm-hmm. specifically as the TV show itself. What was your relationship yeah, so Friends show. came
0: out in 1994, and I'm going to date myself here. I was 11 years old. And I remember. Such what, a baby. Such a young pup. Um, so I was young, and it was probably like fifth or sixth grade. And I remember really loving the show at the time. But you're, I was 11. I didn't get all the humor, but it was so funny to me. And I remember um, getting. Uh, a Ross haircut like I liked David Schwimmer's haircut, so I wanted my hair to look like that Yeah, so I went to our you know, our, my barber Silas and like hey, can I get this? And then when I came back to school that next day people were like oh, you look like Chandler and I'm like I wanted the David not the <laughs> <laughs> like, <I wanted laughs> David Schwimmer. So there's that like and I remember just loving the show and watching it and you feel like you all six of those main characters were so uniquely written and performed that They all stood out and they all could be loved, and they all were funny for their own intricate ways. I wouldn't even say that any of them were the straight one and everyone else was the sidekick. Like, they all six were like great supporting characters to one another in their own storylines and had their own eccentricities. Um, When Matthew, and then later on in life, it ran through to 2004, it was a 10 season show. Which I think is really remarkable. And one thing I'm remembering now too is that the cast basically demanded to be paid like a million, like I think it was the first million, cast million dollars per episode. Per episode. Right? And they all did that together, like yeah. in a unified fashion. Anyway, I remember um, in 2004, I was part of a traveling children's theater called Prairie Fire Children's Theater Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is
1: Chris Jenner,
0: LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends.
1: Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube
0: channel. Uh, they're based in Pura, Minnesota, or like up in that Alexandria area. And the summer, the week... That we were all training together, we like spent over like spent this week together learning our shows, and one of the other cast members who's doing a different show, he brought in like a like a CD binder just full of Friends DVDs, so we would be watching Friends late at night or on or off time because that was just what we pop in the DVD player to play and then just reliving how great these funny episodes were. Yeah, well,
1: and they do stand up, right? Like they, well, I shouldn't say they do stand up. I don't know personally because I haven't gone back after having seen the show. I should just say like my own relationship with friends was a complicated one. Like I, and we talked a little bit about this during the break, I uh, graduated high school in 93. So I was in college in 94 and we didn't watch TV in college. I know that sounds weird. There was a TV on our floor. Yep. Uh, And occasionally, if there was something big that was going to be on TV, we would all, you know, go to the the lounge. Lounge, What did we even call it? It was just like another room on our floor that had a couch and a TV and a kitchenette. And um, so it's not like I wasn't aware that TV was a thing, but we truly didn't really do a lot of appointment television viewing Mm. for that period. And then throughout the late 90s early 2000s i was far more concerned with like partying and stuff and i was certainly aware friends watched episodes have a general idea of like each archetype for the character and so i think i can say you know even like like that speaks to the power of the show is that me as a person who didn't sit down and watch it every week still has a cultural awareness right Of that show in the way that, like, someone who's never seen, like, one of the four people on the planet Earth who have never seen Star Wars, right? everyone still has an idea of what a Darth Vader is. And in the same way, I think a lot of people have a sense of what a Chandler Bing is or one of the other characters.
0: And we talked about earlier, uh, his character was very much the straight guy. not, I don't even say bro because he wasn't a douchey guy, but he just had like the witty, sarcastic one-liners. Like Joey was kind of the doofus, but Chandler was his best friend, and they would sit on the recliners together. There's a great scene where they both get recliners and they both sink into them and like undo the the foot flap or whatever, and it was hysterical. <laughs> and like, there's such a great type of friendship those two characters had together. And when he passed, the two things that came to my mind immediately was it's season four, episode 15, the one with all the rugby from 98. And he had dated this gal named Janice earlier in the series. And all of a sudden Janice reappears in an episode, basically wanting to get back together with Chandler. And he's like, oh God, no. Um, but he doesn't, he has, he can't say that to her. So he fakes that he's moving to Yemen to get away from her. And and then tells her like, I gotta go pack. And then she goes with him to the house to pack. And the rest of him's like, what? And then she comes with them to the airport and he's trying to convince the gate agent to just like fake a ticket to Yemen. <laughs> and then, but she's like, what are you Playing talking
1: about? All the way. through? Yes, yeah.
0: totally. And then even, and Janice is like, I'll, I'll leave as soon as you get on the plane. So then he gets on the plane and then tries to sneak back out of the gate thinking that she's already left. And then she hasn't. And he's like, oh, I'm going to Yemen. And, and has to like, talk to this gal um, uh, that's born. I'm like, I'll stay with you in Yemen. And you're like, it was just, it's a hysterical. It's, this yelling of I'm going to Yemen is four words, three, four words. Yep, and, like, and it's still, with it's you still it's funny. Like, it's the landing of the, deli- the delivery of the la- line is hysterical. Absolutely.
1: And we'll continue our memories and listeners. Thanks for sending emails. We'll get to some of those later in the show as well. Uh, when we come back, addiction was a part of his story that he was very vocal about a lot of people learned about most recently with his memoir we're going to talk about that and his um relationship with all things pickleball you can relate to that here on my talk we'll be right back Welcome back to The Adventures of Bradley and Dawn. I'm the Bradley. The Dawn today played by the incomparable Paul McGuire Grimes from Paul's trip to the movies.
0: Hi, Paul. Hey, always happy to be going in as understudy.
1: Yeah, well, especially on a day like today, which is a it's a hard day, right? For obvious reasons, when we lose a tremendous talent like Matthew Perry, um, it, it gives us the opportunity to reflect. But if I'm going to reflect with anyone... Other than Dawn, I'm glad that it's you because you do bring to the table a bunch of knowledge and experience in the world of television and movies and something Matthew Perry certainly knew lots about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've been very kind to share your thoughts Thank and you. feelings with us throughout the day today. In addition to the fact that he was, you know, look, when somebody famous passes away, how can I put this? I bet a lot of people with Matthew Perry had the feeling, oh, no. I wonder if this had something to do with his...
0: And I am very guilty of that.
1: I don't think there's anything to be guilty for, because I think he was very public in his struggles with alcohol and drugs. Most recently, we know because, of course, his memoir last year, right? So I think it's okay to have those thoughts, right? And if you have people in your life who struggle with drug and alcohol addiction, you... (sighs) Again, you want to be kind and loving, but you also just want to acknowledge that it's a thing. To not talk about it is actually very dangerous. And truly, Matthew Perry himself, in in a conversation he had with Diane Sawyer, talked about this. The silence is actually, and being alone, is a very dangerous thing for someone who struggles with alcohol and drug addiction. I know that. I can also speak to that myself, because as a person uh, who's recovering from an alcohol addiction... For the last 20 some years, when somebody tells you she asks him at one point in this interview that she did last year with him uh, following his memoir, like how should how will people know when you're in trouble? Mm. And he said, when I say something like I'm just gonna stay home tonight and you know be by myself, like that's a sign. If you have an alcohol or drug addiction, being alone is not a good place to be most of the time because that's when it's just you versus your addiction and very often your addiction becomes stronger when it's alone with you mm-hmm. and so he related that and I I for myself I completely identified with that it is not good for me to be alone for very long because your mind can just take you places and your addiction can take
0: you to places that you don't want to go so i think um what he is kind of helping for a lot of people Mm. is a lot of people can relate to him in terms of his celebrity status, his acting work, friends. Sure. Uh, But you are able to reach him in a different place, in a more personal place that not a lot of people can understand in this world of addiction and can contextualize what that means to be an addict, how you can approach someone with it, and I think what is really great about Matthew is that he wasn't afraid to talk about it. Yeah, and he could help other people, and that's what he wanted his legacy to be: is be able to help people.
1: I think a lot of times, especially when celebrities who deal with drugs and alcohol, it's almost like this like cliche of like, oh, they're going to tell us about their you know struggle, and it almost seems like um, you know that people sometimes think they'll, that actors will use that as a way to get attention. I know that sounds harsh, but I truly think that when people are open and honest about stuff like that, people will question their motives. But I will say that it is so incredibly helpful. It has, I can't imagine any alcoholic or addict who struggles with those things, speaking about it publicly, doing it for attention. right? Because why would you ever want to tell people the worst parts about yourself, Mm -hmm. if for uh, any reason other than to
0: help them? I You know, one of the one of the most informative books I have ever read in life is a book called Tweaked by Nick Sheff. And if that name sounds familiar, he is the person that Timothy Chalamet played in the movie Beautiful Boy. It's a prime video movie, but a son, a father and son, and the son's de- battle with addiction. And in Tweaked, he writes so openly about everything that he went through. And if you are not familiar with addiction or have never had anyone in your life or if you've never battled with it... Read that or maybe read Matthew's book to learn truly what it does to the body and the mind. And you, I think, have a greater sense of sympathy and empathy for those people that go through that, I would hope. yeah, And that they're not just talking out of school or trying to get attention because why would you? Like, You become vulnerable about mundane things in life, yeah. let alone something like to admit you're an addict must be very hard
1: yeah and also it is just a practice i i totally related to when he was talking about like so when i listened to him talk about his struggle with alcohol and uh drug addiction that it's that sense of telling on yourself you have to tell on yourself on a right it's a skill you have to learn by tell on yourself i mean if you're thinking about drinking or using drugs you have to Establish a behavior of telling somebody that you're thinking of doing that, which is a very hard thing to do if you think Mm -hmm. about it because what you're essentially, you know, so often you don't want to focus on those things, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want other people in your life to worry about you and you don't want people, you don't want to think that you're, how can I put this? Like you don't want people to think you're just seeking attention, Right. Right. Like how many times do people make that mistake when they have alcoholics and addicts in their lives that like, oh, this person is, you know, seeking attention and and you want to say, no, actually, if they're telling you these things, that's because they're trying to hold themselves accountable because the
0: only help they can sometimes get is from outside themselves. And the more that we talk about it, the less stigma we can have around it to understand it and not just think that you can control it by just telling yourself, no. Yep. Like, oh, where's the willpower? Can't you just have willpower to not go to the bottle or to the drug or to the food or whatever it may be? Well, I, could, I imagine you know, a like, lot of
1: people would read Matthew Perry's story or hear Matthew Perry's story. And if you don't know what he has talked about, how he's been to rehab umpteen times and, uh, you know, addicted to all kinds of drugs. And, you know, in addition to rehab, uh, has done all of the things 10 times times over. And I think, a, a reaction often is what's wrong with you. Why can't you just figure it out? Right. And in fact, I would argue the fact that he tried again and again to, to not tried battled his addiction again and again, and which would, would have a setback and then step right back up and, uh, you know, go back to meetings, go back to rehab, go back to therapy, whatever was working for him at the time. That is a testament to his will in his ability to address the very, very difficult, most difficult things in his life. Like that's a testament to his,
0: to his, uh, willpower. Yeah. And if you think about, we were talking about like, well, you know, what did he die from? We don't know that. but he talks very openly in his book about the damage that the drugs now called did on his body. Oh, sure. And like the colon surgeries that he had yeah. wearing a colostomy bag, the, his teeth falling out, um, just like that wreaks havoc on you. Like, you know, it just is good things to understand what people, it's important,
1: you know, uh, oftentimes for an alcoholic and addict, it's it's important to be, to take an inventory of all of the things that their alcoholic, uh, their alcoholism or their addiction got them to Right, Mm -hmm. Like all of those things that most people would be like, I'm never telling anybody that. There is a sort of a freedom in being able to share all of those things because in the sharing of it, it's not like, oh, look at the worst things that happened to me. Let's celebrate them. <laughs> it's that somebody else out there is going to hear that, identify that and then go, oh, what did that person do? If they were able to get some help, I can do that, too. And if you listen to him talk about his addiction and his struggles, I did not read his book, but I, you know, in the interviews and the the articles that I read, it's clear that he was This is what I would call it, working a program. He Mm -hmm. is doing the work necessary to stay sober, holding himself accountable, making himself available. It is not to say that every time he was successful or that he didn't have setbacks or that he didn't almost die. Mm -hmm. And we don't know at this point if, if anything in his addiction is what led him to his untimely death. My thought first when I read this was if he was still sober i would not be surprised if his body just gave out gave out because of the journey that he's been on up yeah. to this point it would not surprise me because of all of the damage you know previously done to his body but it's it's still premature to talk about that cuz we have no clue i just hope that people don't in the in the void of knowledge right now make the assumption oh something you know Something bad must have happened, or, right? Oh, it must
0: have been XYZ, sort of pejoratively to look back. Um, now's not the time for that. You know, um there's a New York Times article about him that came out. And literally we were just talking about this in the quote that I've kind of landed on this page on. He said, It's still a day-to-day process of getting better. Every day it doesn't end because I did this.
1: It's 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 <laughs> it's a lot. I will tell I don't you doubt. I when I hear stories like this, I'm reminded like you know, for me, this last September would have been 20, not would have been, was 21 years of being sober. And I, you know, some days you wake up and you think like, oh, I got this all figured out. Now it's been 21 years. That's a long time. Look at me, look at all them years behind me. I will tell you, I know many, many people who have had longer, uh, 24 hours strung together than I ever did, who will find themselves right back in the very place that got them to where they needed to stop drinking or doing drugs however many years ago so that is a humbling reminder of the power of addiction
0: and i would hope that if you feel alone in a very broad sense and if you talk about it someone just know that someone else out there is going through that journey too whether you know it or not and you you may be telling me this story and i may hear the story from someone else and think Yep, I just heard the same thing from Bradley. Yes, that's two people now in my life. You, you never know. And...
1: Right? Like, some people may say, like, oh, I, you know, they may look at Matthew Perry's story and be like, that's not me. I couldn't, that's, you know. But I guarantee you, listen to his story long enough, and if you have a an issue with drugs or alcohol, like, I didn't have the issues that Matthew Perry did, mm-hmm. per se, in terms of the consequences that he had, right. medically, financially. Etc. But when he talks about addiction, I can relate to almost all of the thinking that he is describing and illustrating.
0: This just made me think of. um, I want to make sure I phrase this correctly. He was in a place financially to get help, to pay for surgeries, to to um, go see all these doctors, to then get all the help that he needed. Where a lot of people, and I'm guessing a lot of addicts out there aren't in that place to get the help that they need. Yeah. So you just then have to wonder what is everyone else doing that, that is not making the friends good news residuals.
1: Is don't let that be overwhelming. If you do struggle with drug or alcohol addiction, because there are ways out there to get the same yes. help if you don't have the means and resources. But I absolutely you know, agree that it, not everybody has the ability to um, fund yeah. their recovery in the same way, but there mm-hmm. are options and answers out there for people. So, If you, um, you know, if you are looking for support or help right now, I guarantee that it's out there. So when we come back, wow, that was a heavy topic,
0: right? We didn't even get to what he did in recovery. What's that? Maybe we talk about that when we come back. Talk about what? His sport that he played. Oh, yeah, we didn't get to pickleball.
1: You're absolutely right. I'll tell you about Matthew Perry's uh, love for pickleball, of all things. And we'll get to Brittany's memoir as well when we come back right here on Monday. Keyword Awareness. (laughs) Hey, my talkers. Bradley here for my good friends at Alight. alight Wearealight.org. It's been, oh gosh, I can't even think of the number of years it's been since I first learned about the organization known as Alight. At the time, it was actually called the American Refugee Committee, ARC. And they changed their name to Alight. And there's a wonderful story uh, about why they did that. But it really gets to... The communities that they serve the communities that Alight serves and by the way a based right here in the twin cities Are displaced persons people just like you and me who've been forced to leave everything they have behind because of war conflict and Famine and increasingly when you turn on the news when you open your social media feeds You see that the numbers of displaced persons around the world has increased every single day of the year the alight team is there thanks in no small measure to your support, head to alight.org today. Matthew Perry liked pickleball? Who knew? One of the many things we've learned about uh, Matthew Perry um, after he passed away. Tragically, this weekend, but we've really taken the opportunity, as is often the case here on My Talk and here on The Adventures of Bradley and Dawn, for sure, to dive deep into an actor's life when they pass away. It really is a moment now for me, personally, I love to get on YouTube and just start watching clips. Oh, that's all I did
0: all morning was watch Chandler clips.
1: Exactly, right? <laughs> and that voice you hear is Paul McGuire Grimes who's in for dawn today. So that's kind of like the thing we do when when somebody as as you know, TV and movie nerds like we mm. are we just kind of jump into the pop culture abyss that is YouTube because you can find anything there. So you were watching. Oh, I mean, yes. So one of
0: the other ones I didn't mention earlier of the things that came to my head right away was there's a scene where they're all, the six of them are playing a trivia game about each other. And Ross is the host and it's, you know, it's um, Rachel and Monica against Joey and Chandler. And the question is what name is on the TV guide subscription that comes to Chandler's house? or to their apartment. And Rachel says Chandler ring right away with like, without even thinking about it, because that would be the logical choice that it's the person's name. Yeah. Well, then Monica like freaks out because she knows that that's not it and the name on it. And because Monica's like, it's Chandler bong. And then Chandler's like, it's Miss Chandler bong. And <laughs> just the quick line delivery seriousness that Chandler, Matthew Perry, was so good at delivering. So I watched that, the pivot scene with the couch going up the stairs and the couch basically like falling onto Chandler and then his, his delivery again. He was great at the ending of a scene or the ending of a moment to just get that punchline landed.
1: Yeah, what do you think it was about the way he... Presented that character. Or what was it about his presentation of humor that made him so successful? It on was that show?
0: snarky. It was sarcasm, and I think that that is such a hard skill. Not only as an actor for delivery, but as a person that you wish you had. Like if you, I, I think we all wish that we were good with comebacks. So when you see a character that is so good at that, you kind of latch onto because you wish you were like that in a way. And I think that is something that you that that makes Chandler appealing in a way. Mike,
1: we haven't gotten to. Your feelings about friends. What's your, first of all, what's your relationship to the TV show itself? So I knew, I mean, obviously it was a big, I was a junior in high school, like in its final season, and it was obviously a clear cultural phenomenon yeah for sure i remember watching the final like five episodes live and making it appointment television prior to that i mean i'd catch it now and then but the one thing about chandler's character and you're just kind of talking about it his for me and what made the show so great is you could have 10 different people watch the show and they're all going to relate to a different character a different person for me there was no question it was chandler like that was the one i saw the eyes of the show through him so it made it really you know powerful his his performances and how much fun he would have and those comebacks and his type of sense of humor like that all resonated with me in a huge, huge way. So when I thought of friends, he was like the gym of the office for me, like I saw that show through his eyes, you know yeah, so that's just kind of how I always watched the show and and felt about the show, and that's why it's a, it's a huge loss. you know it's we horrible. had this um I was looking through this list of clips, and I'm like, I don't know any like I know these episodes because I've seen clips before, but was there an episode for you, Mike, that um sticks out or something that you remember is particularly funny oh man they're
0: not really that i can pull right off hand no um i asked friends on facebook for them for like oh, just yeah. ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh my friend jen says the one where chandler and joey fight uh, whenever their fights are always funny hilarious and she said especially when they had the duck and the chick involved i watched that scene earlier <laughs> they love when they fought over ross's being ross's best man uh, my friend Stephanie wrote the one where Monica and Chandler get engaged. That is a part that that moment is so special and wonderful. My friend. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, I'll pull some more up. But um, yeah, just things like that. And again, there's so many great moments over 10 years that I think we all have little different favorites.
1: Now, you did put this clip in here of the Yemen scene. <laughs> oh,
0: God. Yeah, it's so good. If you go toward the end of it, you can just hear Chandler just freaking out. It's um, it's great. Can we pick that up towards sure, the end? Towards that cl- yeah, let's yeah, and again,
1: that. this was where Chandler is pretending that he was transferred to Yemen. I think this was in <laughs> season four. <laughs> where Janice?
0: He just
1: head back out and walks away. Chandler? Nope. Chandler! Janice, there you are. There you are. I had to have one last kiss, and and also, also, you said you were going to leave right after I got on the plane. <laughs> to see you take off well then i guess i'm going to yemen (laughs) i'm going to yemen
0: (laughs) when we get to yemen can i stay with you just
1: so many different and that also the thing that that made me think of so that would have been what 1990. 8 or something
0: that season was 4 98
1: yeah like you, when you could go to the airport and actually be at a gate with someone right so, yeah. like that wouldn't that's not
0: happening you could anymore. hold up your little sign saying yeah. someone's last name.
1: the other story i want to make sure we get to so we've been remembering uh the life and the career of actor Matthew Perry in the last segment we talked about his struggles with addiction and how he we was so public about them talked about them in his memoir which was very healing and helpful for him, and most importantly, he wanted it to be helpful to other people. But within that, you learn about his love of pickleball, which is something here on my talk we can relate to because most recently our project Down and Dirty involved pickleball. But he apparently played pickleball to help with his recovery. I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but essentially he was a regular pickleball player at a place near his home in L.A. He had a coach. And uh, he played, I think, with other people in recovery. I guess he would play up to five times a week. He talked about it a lot. I think he might have had a home or a pickleball court uh, put in at his home. So just something to sort of, you know, keep him active and like totally relatable because, my God, everybody's playing
0: pickleball nowadays. And it's great that he had that that community. Yeah, that is maybe based in addiction, but to find another outlet,
1: which is so, so important absolutely to stay connected with other people. It gives you a layer of accountability, but also just it gives you people and lives to involve yourself in so that you don't have to focus on yourself all the time. Cause sometimes for an addict and alcoholic, myself included, helping others is a way to not think about your issues and your problems. It gets you outside of yourself in a way that's very helpful. And 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 I think,
0: and in a very literal sense, because you're going outside of a meeting location, mm-hmm. or you're, or he's going outside of Hollywood, where he's being surrounded by yes. peca- wanting to talk exactly. about his career. Exactly. Here he can just be Matt, Matty, as he would call himself, as Matty, who loved playing pickleball, and he could be like a normal person without every noise around him. Yeah.
1: We didn't have time to get to uh, a story about Brittany this hour. Hopefully we'll get to it in the next hour. I want to tell you about... TMZ catching up with Lance Bass because I also have not taken your temperature on Britney's memoir. Brittany's memoir. Have you read it? I have
0: not yet. Okay. Are you um, planning on
1: reading it? I would to. like to,
0: you know, I was at target the other day and I thought I picked it up and I should have bought it. Um, but I didn't. So I may have to do that soon. It's That's okay. I'm at target. I may- do. I do want to read it.
1: Oddly, like her memoir, I did not read Matthew Perry's memoir, but I think the topic of memoirs, we were talking a little bit about this off the air, is it's a very unique thing, a celebrity memoir. And I think to have both of these memoirs out at the same time presents an opportunity to talk about like how we relate to these actors and
0: there are these two memoirs there's jada's memoir there's Sean stamos's memoir oh right yeah, you're now. absolutely right barbara's coming out with oh, a I memoir in a couple of weeks
1: let's talk some memoir stuff and then i want to get to that okay. lance bass <laughs> yeah. clip when we come back here on the adventures of bradley and don on my talk 1071 here with paul mcguire grimes today